Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Culture, and welcome back to the Talking Journey podcast, where we talk everything Ireland, Irish, in movies, comics, TV shows, and more. I'm here with my co-host, Commander Rob Cross of the 1st Irish Infantry. <laughs> and of course, my name is Stuart McNamara. <laughs> Hello, comrade. <laughs> it's not going that far. Yeah, well, how are you doing, Stu? Not too bad now, but uh, Rob, how are you? Yeah, grand. Been working hard and we've got very... Or hardly working, am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how about a picture of a cat that uh, you know says, hang on in there, kitty, or another one about... No, it. that's what we all need in being, these, these being, trying times. Being crazy is not a requirement to work here, but it can, in fact, help. <gasps> can. Sign me up, sir. Yeah, the weather's nice today, at least, if not of a temperament. <laughs> Irish weather, temperamental, I wouldn't have it. <laughs> anyway. So, this week, I think we'll talk a little bit about Irish weddings. Yes. Something that you might have a bit more uh, knowledge of than I do. Well, I'm on my third wife, so, of oh, course, you know, that, man, I know, that, you know that works. I, I'm not. <laughs> my girlfriend's going to kill me when she hears this. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I, I suppose we were kind of talking a little bit about this, because, of course, in the film of Michael Collins, there's... You know, he's, he gets engaged in it. We, we won't say how the, how the engagement goes quite yet, but, you know, maybe. It's a happy ending, right? Well, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll find out soon. <laughs> if, you, if you don't want to know how it turned out for Michael Collins, look away. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I suppose we have kind of a, a way of doing things in this country with a lot of kind of, you know, even like when people are born to when they die to when they get married to things like that, that maybe are a bit different to people. And I, I think yeah, working with... Heavily influenced by the Catholic Church, yeah, but even guiding other, the country for so long, and even other kind of things like that. I think working with people from a variety of different countries and backgrounds over the years, I've kind of learned that they look at an Irish wedding as like that's well, very different like how we do it in our country. And then there's even even English people saying it's it's a little bit different. So I I suppose it maybe it is kind of more of a culturally significant thing than we maybe give it credit for. Well, I mean, look, any reason for a sesh, we're going to have a sesh. I think that kind of boils down to it. it, it it's uh, the, the great kind of Irish thing of getting together, having a few drinks and having a bit of fun and meeting yeah. people. And it, that's kind of central at a lot of what we do. I suppose even more morbidly with a funeral. I mean, you, know, you have the wake where everyone yeah. comes and says it's terrible. They bring sandwiches and you have a few drinks and you probably end up in the pub and talking about how much you miss the person. And it's, it's much more a celebration of their life as opposed to thinking about... How how they kind of gone in a sense. Yeah, of course. But I suppose moving on from death to <laughs> weddings, <laughs> I suppose wedding is you, you have the honeymoon I suppose afterwards. Um, yes, which, that's, well, that's how it that's, traditionally goes. I well, mean, she, <laughs> but that was I meant I meant I meant to say like um, bachelor party, but I I, 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 thought, <laughs> I meant I meant I meant to say stag, and I just said honeymoon popped into my brain there, so it, it, uh, edit that out. Um, I will not. Yeah. So so I suppose it, it kind of starts with. You propose to someone. No. Really? It, oh, yeah. <laughs> Over like, the internet, right? You propose on a Russian... Oh, yeah. That's... Dating it, site. It's it's like the old uh, Brendan Grace's father, the bride thing. He, he says, I'd like to marry your daughter. And I says, all right. 
you see their mother because I have but I'd sooner marry your daughter <laughs> <laughs> I mean of course you have to make sure you have enough cattle first yeah dowries are very important yeah we I suppose in, in some of the other work we've 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 reviewed dowries are there that as far as I'm aware that's not something that's still practiced amongst us in you know yeah, Ireland I mean, historically a dowry would have been a very important part of it, as would maybe having land as well. I think it's still an aspect to some people. Like, you know, you'd, you'd you kind of say a bit, a bit of road frontage or like a bit of land is what people would say. So kind of marrying into land is, yeah. is, is, it was, was kind of more of the thing. So It was great when there was lots of land, but now it's just cut down into smaller and smaller chunks. Yeah, so... Well, that's modern society for you, too. Yeah. So then anyway, you, you go off and get married. And I suppose it's it's very much kind of a two-step process because, as we kind of talked a little bit before, we you don't have to have a civil and religious marriage separately in this country. It's pretty much that in a lot of other places, I suppose in the UK in particular, or like in America, you, know, you have to go to the clerk and like, county courthouse or whatever and get the, the, the marriage cert and then you'll go off and have your religious ceremony or whatever you want. The two of them are very separate but here, uh, certainly with Catholic and Church of Ireland, I, I can't speak for perhaps other faith communities as much but, you know, the, the priest they're they're able to solemnize marriages legally as well as obviously whatever your, your your flavor of religion is and not to say of course you can't have an entirely civil marriage if you if you, if you so choose yeah. but that's you know, it, uh, generally I, I've only ever been to one of those and it was in the UK so I can't speak to that so yeah generally it's you know you you so generally like the you know, the groom will it, it was always like they have a pint with like the best man before they go to the church a pint or seven a, a few maybe <laughs> um so they, they go in anyway they're waiting then the 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 bride will be walked up the aisle by her, her father or you know whatever and you know they have the religious ceremony and then afterwards certainly with the catholic churches i've been to it's the priest will take them into the back room uh, along with their two witnesses you know the best man and the you know the bridesmaid and then they'll actually the legal process there assigning the the document signing the register and like they have their two witnesses there as well and so by the time you leave the church and you're having all the lovely photos taken outside you're both religiously and civilly married so it's actually it's, t- it's actually yes I mean I've said that to Peter like oh really you do the whole thing yeah so you get the whole thing done in an hour to, like there's a match on afterwards I'm sure the priest would do, <laughs> do it pretty quick for you <laughs> 10 minute mass <laughs> I've seen them <laughs> uh, so generally then it's um you you go to the reception uh, as as we would kind of call it in, in this country I suppose like the afters or I don't know if there's any other word Americans would use for that too so it's just the after the, the kind of yeah. the party after the, the the ceremony if you will so and generally it's going back to a hotel function room is is pretty much the way it's been done yeah. um, and at this most of the relatives and some of the bridesmaids. Get very, very drunk. And I suppose the groomsmen as well, of course. Yeah, uh, I, I think particularly the grooms himself, uh, for some of the weddings I've been at still. Yeah. I mean, he's been he's been carried to bed before the bride a lot of times. But it's, you know, it, I think it would be very much, you'd be in a hotel function room, there'd be a lot of large circular tables. Um, there'd probably be like, I don't know if it's as much now. Definitely, some of the weddings I was at for like my my aunt godmother and all that, there was like a head table at the very top of the room. It was like kind of a big long line. That was like the you know the the bride and groom would be there, like the the, the bride and groom's parents would be there, the priest would generally be there, the best man and all that, and that's where all the speeches would be coming this from. Being a priest is a great job. You get to go to the weddings and the afters. <laughs> Well, I mean, it was like Free a meal half a week. <laughs> I think generally it was you wouldn't invite the priest back because you it would like if he was in your parish, you'd know him, particularly in smaller areas. But I suppose maybe less so now. I don't think I'd be doing that myself. But and generally, that's where all the speeches come from. See, so obviously the 
the best man will make kind of the other the, the comedic speech about the the groom yeah telling all a few embarrassing stories and some of it i've heard have been pretty horrific yeah yeah i think it's there's there's acceptable levels of how you know don't worry rob i have a few ideas for you <laughs> i just saw what you were looking at. <laughs> yeah and all that and then generally the father of the bridal will make a speech if you'd like to see an example of this the the irish comedian brendan grace does a, a fantastic routine of called the father of the bridal he's basically giving that speech at the wedding while he's absolutely blind drunk and it's you know hilarious you know he just goes i remember my daughter said she was going to marry someone and i said is it someone you know <laughs> At, uh, my daughter could have married a man that was working. My daughter could have married a man who wasn't working, but was willing to find work. <laughs> um, Why would you do that when you can be on the dole every week? <laughs> Jesus, cut that <laughs> I wasn't making the classes. I was doing something. Jesus Christ. Oh, now it's only certain classes who t- get the dole. That's, that's something else. Uh, I'm not even going to get into this anymore. Uh, cut this. I don't know. I mean, I've always found that they're wedding cakes in Ireland is generally they're not always like kind of on three different pillars if you know what I mean tears tears yeah that's really <laughs> it I'm not a of course a baker would know it's just a cake you should know what tears of a cake are anyway and I've always found it's like this kind of white icing on the very thick white icing and then it's, it's like marzipan or something isn't it yeah and then kind of fruit it's almost like the kind of Christmas cake thing if you know what I mean it's like fruit cake inside almost every wedding I've been at yeah I don't know I, I just I think there's supposed to be like a different cake for each tier all right, maybe then you put like the fruit cake in for like ten year anniversary because you put it in the freezer. Ah, right. Some weird shit. Some, like yeah, that. there's something like that about keeping like a slice of wedding cake. I know like Marge and Homer do it in The Simpsons. I like my parents haven't. I <laughs> I remember I asked them that once. No, but um, I remember the YouTuber Ashens actually someone sent him in the 25 year old oh, wed- a wedding cake from his parents and he he, he tried he ate some of it. I think he was very unwell. Look it up on YouTube. But uh, I, I suppose then it really breaks into the party. Like they'll kind of break out the dance floor. There's always like a wedding band and they'll play the kind of you know the safer kind of pop songs and yeah. then they play some of the oldies and then it'll like, be like the Macarena yeah and uh, Rock the Boat and yeah. everyone's down on the floor yeah rowing like something because like you got kids you're probably going to have kids here there's always kids at an Irish yeah. wedding I think all hours at a and you know the, the grandparents the you know the, the bridal party they, they want, you want a kind of music that everyone will like and like have the kids stuff on early and like have the slow set a bit later for like the that and of course before all of that happens after the speeches they'll have the first dance between the bride and groom generally and whatever whatever song they like and it's the dancing and the session happens and there's probably a DJ on afterwards and it'll, it'll probably wrap up about half two or three o'clock yeah it wraps up and then the real like, wedding party starts am I right in the in the residence hey, hey, no, that's not what I mean at all we have different ideas of what we're doing <laughs> um, but I think as well something that a few people pointed out to me particularly Polish people um they're like, wait, you have to pay for the drinks at a wedding. Like, yes. Like, I mean, I know generally it's the, but not always the father of the bride traditionally paid for it. But I'm like, you hear that now? Shut up. Just, uh, of course, just, just of so course, someone knows. of course, that's not, <laughs> of course, that's not how things work out anymore. And I was, just, <laughs> and I, and I was just like saying to them, it's like, do you think you trust a bunch of Irish people with an open bar at a wedding? Oh, yeah. You'd be like, absolutely, like, they'd be out of money in five minutes. It's not, it's not even that. Irish weddings, you'd have about 100, 200 <laughs> people there. Yeah. You'd have 200 cases of alcohol poisoning if you had an open bar. Yeah. Legitimately. Because I think we have to just say as well, like, we, now, compared to some uh, traditions, like, I think particularly, like, some people in India, we, we wouldn't be having quite the, the level of people at their wedding, like, all their family. Yeah, but... You know, but we, we I think we, you would be inviting, you know, obviously your, your close friends, you know, your your parents, you'd be inviting their brothers and the sisters and their 
plus ones and yeah but i think generally you'd have a well over 150 people at a wedding oh, like it, it'd be like um very much a lot of the community coming as well particularly like in small villages the whole village is there oh yeah at least for the afters yeah at least for the afters like i think like the ceremony is kind of seen as being more intimate and a bit kind of more family and close friends only but like the reception would be much more you know like your your third cousins and your but uh, and then that just goes on and on and yeah, and then the bride and groom go off on their honeymoon. Uh, not before the wedding, as I suggested earlier. Ah, uh, look, <laughs> we're not here to tell you when you can and cannot have your honeymoon. Yo, if you, you want, want to do it before, after, during, I mean, you have the wedding, <laughs> you have the, you have the ceremony, you go on your honeymoon, you come back and you have the afters. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose as well. So I think that's kind of the well, I would say the traditional kind of Irish wedding is, and then you drag yourself back to wherever you live in the country afterwards on a Sunday morning. Oh yeah, the the morning after is probably the worst. And then you go to a different pub later on in the day to celebrate even more. Generally, you'll see. Yeah, generally you would see the bride and groom off. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of in, in a nutshell. That's the Irish wedding, I suppose. Th- there is kind of an increasing move towards doing kind of non-religious ones. So, you, like, you can do a civil, just the civil service in this country. Up if you go like up to the registry office in you know any any kind of county hall, you can just get it done there. And but I mean, they'll they'll actually do nice enough ones. I mean, they, you can get like a one of the nicer rooms in there, have a bit of music coming in, and you know they're just not allowed to have any reference to God, and it has to be purely yeah. kind of legal, if you will, and maybe a bit cold, but you can do that. And, I think the most important note to talk about with uh, Irish weddings is that we were the first country in the world to vote by referendum to allow gay marriage. That's right. Um, I, I suppose I was actually I was getting to that gradually. Um, yes, we had a referendum in 2016 about legalising same-sex marriage. And yeah, we passed overwhelmingly. Yeah, it was fantastic to see because people were coming home <laughs> from Australia, America, home everywhere. Vote, yeah. Everyone came back to vote on this and when, it went very well. With the way, just to kind of briefly say, with the way our constitution works, if, if you want to change the constitution in this country, you have to have a referendum. So like the whole, all the all Irish citizens living in the country get to vote on it. And it's just yeah. simply yes or no. Um, we're like one of the few countries in the world that actually have that process. I, I know Australia was talking about having one at the time, but they didn't actually need to. It was just because the government were, you know, trying to copy us and take the coward's way out of actually making a decision. Well, it was more, I assume they were hoping that it would be a no vote. Mm, anyway, we'll yeah. see. But, and, uh, but, I think... that, but I remember it being quite nice that day. I remember, yeah, we like, could. it was we, a great feeling to I, see I, it. I was there with a close friend who is... Um, not straight, but he didn't have a vote. Um, because he's he doesn't know Irish citizenship yet. And I remember he waited outside while I went in and voted. And you know, we we remember we were talking and we went out that night into town with a few people and we were drinking. And as soon as we saw the exit poll, like we we're waiting till ten o'clock to see the exit poll because you know we're th- we're like this will probably pass. I mean, we're we're kind of a liberal country, but yeah. we weren't sure. And then when we saw the the thing and it was what it was about like sixty three percent yes, yeah, something huge. It was something huge, quite and a I, good majority. I think we all thought it would pass like by. Skin of her teeth. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I mean, like, you know, I thought it would pass by maybe a bit tight, but that was such a large margin. I just remember, you know, going around the, the pub that night and seeing all people, like, wearing, like, rainbow flags and, like, having all the thing on, just, yeah, it was cr- a good just crying. It was really nice. So, uh, the last thing before we head on to the actual movie is, uh, the weird thing about Irish weddings is that a lot of famous people like to have them. So, uh, I looked down through... People uh, get married, my God. A quick list. So, some of the very notable ones include Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. And Heather Mills, I think it was. Victoria and David Beckham. They got married in Ireland. Ireland. Uh, Tony Hawk. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) Radical. Out of the blue. Um, Someone from a 
one of our old episodes, Amy Huberman. Well, I mean, uh, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah Brian, Brian O'Driscoll. Second best Irish rugby player. <laughs> um, it just says Pierce Brosnan, so it won't tell me who he actually got married to. But he got married. Well, he was married to Cassandra Harris. Um, this is I, I think... Shane Smith, now it's came up. Okay, well, that, Cassandra was his first wife. I, I She died of cancer, yeah. unfortunately. I, and, uh, I, I, yeah. Would you believe it, that Bono got married in Ireland now? Oh, that insufferable person. Shocking. Really. I mean, Ali Houston is his wife. She seems, she generally yeah. seems like a lovely person, but I, I think he's an insufferable twat. And uh, <laughs> my brain kind of went dead for a second. So did I say Elton John? No. Oh, did he? I didn't know I'm that. pretty sure Elton John got married here. Yeah. Maybe I'm mistaken. Either well, way, we're going to claim it anyway. I don't think it... Well, it wasn't legal in this country to marry a fella at the time. We'll never find out. So... <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe he had his own wedding over here. You know what, Elton? You you be you. Yeah. So, onto the movie anyway, which this week is Michael Collins, which is obviously based on true events. Yep. And is the story of Michael Collins and the kind of struggle for uh, independence in the Republic. And then that, the subsequent civil war. Yes, that <laughs> Ireland went through uh, from 1916 onwards. Yeah, I suppose we, we, we've we kind of talked about this topic before, like with yeah, the foreigner. And, we, and we definitely will again, because yeah, it, it, it's such it's an the, the pivotal part. moment in our country's history in a lot of ways. I think just to kind of, before we get into the film, just to kind of I, I, I talk about this whole independence movement, we've kind of touched on this before, but like this is, we're, we're kind of hitting the centenaries at the moment for, for a lot yeah. of these things. And like they call this this kind of decade, like 2016 onwards is the decade of centenaries because the Britain were like, oh yeah, well, all our ones with like the First World War, we're like, yeah, but we have like our first doll in 1919 and we have like the start of the war, yeah, the independence, the Easter Rising and all that. But we're, we're kind of, reaching the stage now where we're getting into like you know this the start of um really the war of independence and we're, we're going to in the next kind of two years be hitting this is when the anglo-irish treaty came into effect yeah. and all that and then we get into the civil war centenaries which is much more divisive and yeah. we'll obviously talk about that a little bit but i suppose just to say as well we do learn a, about this a lot in school yeah like i know i did in primary school i did history for my leaving cert as well so we, we got a lot of you were thought a lot about this and i think depending on where in the country you're from and yeah, you're kind a of bit different. the gist of what your teacher maybe views um you might get a different version of it i know i got two very different versions of it in yeah. school one from a, a teacher from clonakilty in west cork where Col- near collins were from was from another one who was much more of a took a very differing view on on michael collins and de valera let's just put it that way well look it's almost <laughs> a centenary and here's open for round two where we get out the current bunch of jackasses <laughs> in government am i right am i right i, I suppose as well because it, it we, we did this a, a little after the anniversary of collins death yeah um it, it was the like 22nd of august i believe or 23rd and we we couldn't quite do that but we're kind of doing it now and i suppose it is saying that the, the, the two sides that formed out of the, the civil war like fianna fáil and fine Gael, are actually together in a government now along with the green party so i suppose it's in a sense, it's kind of significant yeah. in contrast to, you know, as we'll talk in the film about how if things If only they acted out. any differently. Basically the same side of the same coin yeah. for the last hundred or so years. I so, suppose in you know. way it is. <laughs> so this film was directed by Neil Jordan. Uh, I was looking through other things that he's done because the this film is directed very well. Like it's shot masterfully. And yeah. uh, you can see that with some of his other movies. Like he did uh, Interview with a Vampire. Very good. Uh, what else? There's something about you 2 in here, so I'm not even going to get into that because we all know 
too much about you two, apparently. Yes. Um, and he also wrote uh, this and Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, it, it seemed very much, because I, 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 I actually watched this on DVD, because we, we had this on DVD, and I remember like flicking through the special features on it the other day. This is very much a passion project for him, and he, he was very much into it, and I think yeah. he kind of, he really did cast it very well. I know he wasn't necessarily involved in the casting, but I think he did a pretty good well, job. Well, I think the director probably has a bit of a say. A bit it's of a small, say. Small, of a, a I, but, say. Yeah, though. but I think he did, a, I think he overall he did a good job. Yeah. We'll talk about the issues with the writing and accuracy later. Yeah. But from a pure filmmaking perspective, good job. So then, in terms of the cast, we obviously have Liam Neeson as Michael Collins himself. Uh, you might know him as Qui-Gon Jinn. Or any number of other characters in the, some great movies. The lad from Taken. <laughs> exactly. The t- the Taken guy. He, t- he takes people or something. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever happens in that movie. Uh, who else have we got then? We have Aiden Queen, who's Harry Boland. You might remember from our last review. Yeah, another big name. Uh, Stephen Ree as Ned Broy. You also might remember from our last review. <laughs> yes. There's Pierce Brosnan playing uh, Kitty Kinnett. Oh, wait, that's Julia Roberts. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got the two movies mixed up there for a yeah. second. Alan Rickman as... Eamon de Valera. Yeah, we'll get it. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's going to be all Alan Rickman jokes. I, I, got, I got to say, like, I don't know who cast Rickman as Dev, but it was a very interesting choice. Like, it, it works in a weird way. I mean, it's hard now. Obviously, when this was made, you couldn't connect him to Snape from Harry Potter. I know you can't really. Yeah. Because you haven't seen it. I've him. seen the first two films. Yeah. I think someone needs to get onto that. But, uh, <laughs> look... It's very hard for someone who has seen all the Harry Potter movies and sees what a great performance he does there. Well, you see, I kind of think I agree, but I I always think of it more in from like Die Hard. Uh, so what you're like saying is, the big game in De Valera is uh, the Hans Gruber of uh, Ireland. Yes, interesting, interesting yes. choice. <laughs> Now, there's a movie, if they remade Michael Collins... I'm afraid, have... I'm afraid Mr. Collins won't be joining us for the rest of his life. Look, that that's a movie right there. Obviously, R.I.P. Alan Rickman, but if he was still alive, remake this movie, but it's in... Nakatomi uh, Plaza. Plaza. <laughs> so, Harry, how does the same shit happen to one the same guy twice? Someone needs to make that film. So, uh, the other big one, as Rob kind of half said, is Julia Roberts as Kitty Kiernan. And, the, like, there were many other... Like, Brendan Gleeson yeah, has Brendan an, Gleeson a, a non-serious role. He plays Liam Tobin. Uh, you got Ian Hart playing um, Joe O'Reilly, who I believe is actually a composite character. He's, like, the lad with the mustache who follows him around. Yeah. Um, um, great movie. What is it? Nominated for two Oscars. Yeah. So, can't really say much more. Also, just to, just to mention as well, although briefly in the film, the excellent Charles Dance, as Solmes, yeah. who's the head of the Cairo gang. You'd almost blink and you'd miss him kind of thing, but I think he has such a... There, there's one scene in particular we'll talk when he's, he's in the castle talking to Ned Broy, and he's just got this such an imposing presence, because he's like towers oh, yeah. Charles, over Charles him. Does just all has the, the, anyway. the, 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 the proper upper English accent. It's just... He's such a great presence when he's on the scene. A screen, it's just a shame that he has a very brief appearance in the film, as, yeah. we'll, as we'll discuss. So, we'll go down through it once again. I think... Uh, we're kind of giving up on the whole spoiler-free spoiler. Since most of these movies that yeah. we're reviewing are... I think this was 96. This was 96. Yeah. So, <laughs> if you haven't seen it by now, probably should get on it. Like, if you don't know what happens to Michael Collins and Bale and the Blah, I, I, you know, from Irish history, I maybe you, you're, you're hearing about it now for the first time, but definitely look it up. There's a lot there, and... You'd yeah. be surprised to find out what happens to it. We take our history very seriously. Yeah. So, I mean, the movie starts with an opening crawl. 
which actually gives you goosebumps right from the get-go because yeah. it really like it, it's almost I suppose old-fashioned in a way to put in an opening crawl obviously Star Wars does it but not many yeah. other movies do but it really just you need it to set the scene that comes after because it's the bat for the GPO I think it, it's important because this was the first real Irish blockbuster in that time and I, yeah. I suppose what I what I mean by that is this was like proper Hollywood film about an Irish thing like this with a load of big actors and specifically a kind of historical one like this is about the same time as Braveheart, which a lot of was filmed in Ireland. Yeah. Um, and it's in kind of a similar vein. I think I think they're actually very similar movies in a sense because it's about like a national hero fighting against the English or British, as as yeah. it were, and you know their their downfall, I suppose, at the end and and what comes out about it so it was very much in vogue at the time and I suppose to a lot of people in America and maybe abroad this would have been their first exposure to hearing about a lot of this so I think it was necessary particularly if you're English and you, you don't learn about this at all in school or any of the things you do yeah, this might come as a shock to you it's quite unfortunate that it, that British people don't tend to get the bad parts of their history like maybe that's it's not it's completely whitewashed that, that might not be a, bl- uh, a blanket statement that certain places might be taught differently but from yeah. what we understand of it it can be whitewashed I've spoken to English people and they don't learn about these things. I, I, I suppose there's certain time when they hear like the IRA or something, yeah. they immediately think of like the troubles in the North. We discussed this in the the Foreigner when we talked about the IRA, but you always have to say, well, we're talking about the old IRA here and we were fighting for independence and it was very different from what how things are now. So I suppose yeah. that's it. But so context yeah, is important. We get straight into the kind of the end and surrender uh, at the GPO. Yeah. And which I, in itself is something to talk about because... One of the big things that came out of that is the loss of the census records when it actually happened. No, that, that no, that was actually later. That's actually when the the four courts. Oh, geez, sorry. Yeah, so sorry, you're jumping ahead of it. There, I, I I have a separate thing about that actually. Either way, I get confused sometimes. <laughs> That's all right. See, Rob's more of the history guy, and I'm kind of a bit more about modern stuff. Yeah. I suppose you could say. Um, so I suppose what 1916 was, it is kind of, this is actually glossed over a lot in the film. It's just kind of the starting point, if you will. And it's talked a little bit of, we, we won't make those mistakes again. There's a lot of history and kind of condensed down here, but in, in the kind of broadest sense, this is the big turning point between us being willing to talk to the, the, the British and us not. So Yeah, I mean, what 1916, wasn't it seen as almost nonsense by a lot of Irish people? It wasn't. But it wasn't. Was it wasn't yeah. supported. It Not wasn't supported. All, but then it was the uh, executions of the signatories of the proclamation, which that is shown. Of, that, some of that, yeah, are shown. some of that is shown, and that's that's the the real kick in the pants that got the actual revolution started. What, if you will. Well, I suppose to kind of go into it, what nineteen sixteen was at the Easter Rising, um, the is what it's generally called, whatever you want to call it. It was a minority of the Irish volunteers who were kind of a republican. They're pushing for like Irish independence, really, who wanted to kind of fight more directly for for our independence. And it's worth saying the Irish volunteers were like, you know, they were marching around and they were doing yeah. their, their maneuvers and everything. And there was about a hundred and 20,000 of them at their height in about 1914. But of course, as you'll probably guess by the dates then, something happened in 1914 and yeah. then, uh, you know, Europe went to war. Um, and we found, thought this was our chance. Yeah, well... I know not, 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 ex- not exactly, you see. It's... We had finally, through David Lloyd George and, well, and uh, Herbert Asquith and the Liberal Party, the Irish Parliamentary Party, which was the political way of kind of getting our independence but it wasn't full independence it wasn't being a republic it was home rule is yeah. what, what it was which was we would have our own parliament in Dublin again 
but we'd we'd still have the king as our head of state in like a nominal capacity and we'd still let the British look after like external defence and things like that but we'd be able to control our own affairs in, in a way from Dublin to a large extent and that's what they fought for and they got that in, in 1914 uh, it was passed the, the, the third Home Rule Act got through Parliament every time previously this had gotten through the Irish Parliamentary Party had supported the Liberal Party and the House of Lords had blocked it. Obviously, the the, pe- the the rich people and the lords who had a lot of land in Ireland obviously would like to keep it. Shocking. I wouldn't so, imagine that now. But this time, because the lords had blocked a, a budget that David Lloyd George, he was Chancellor of the Exchequer, had tried to pass in 1909, they took away the power of the House of Lords to do that, to block things like this. So we actually, it was actually like, oh, we've just got this bill through the House of Commons and the House of Lords can't block it any longer. We're going to finally be at least somewhat free. Then World War One happens. That gets this, okay, we'll have to defer that for the entirety of the war. And generally people are like, yeah, that's, that seems reasonable. And a lot of the Irish volunteers, about 100,000 of them do, go off and fight in the British Army during World War One, including, yeah. like, a lot of my family, actually. I mean, there's a picture up my wall just there of the boat my great-grandfather's on in the Royal Navy. Um, nice. it, it's sinking in the picture you might see. <laughs> obviously, he got off. <laughs> but a minority of the people that stayed behind in the volunteers got in with the, the IRB, not the IRA yet, the Irish Republican Brotherhood. And they, these guys were like the secret kind of Republicans that were pushing for full independence. And they were like, a secret organisation you had to take an oath to get in there this is very serious stuff and them combining with the Irish Citizens Army under James Connolly who you see in the film who was a, a Scottish man of Irish descent um, who was really pushing more for like socialism and kind of workers' rights and he led the, the, the strike and lockout in Dublin in 1913 which is the real start of trade unionism in this country all of that kind of came together with this kind of anti-British thing and they wanted to march across the country and kind of just say they're at war. We have our chance now. The Germans have given us some guns because our, our enemy's enemy is our friend. But at the same time, they march under the banner. We serve neither King nor Kaiser, but Ireland. Yeah, of course. They'll, they'll use it. And then, but free guns are free guns. But free guns are free guns. But they they had this plan and they were going to go out on Easter Sunday and they had you know the, the about 15,000 volunteers all over the country. And they had like the ICA and the Coming Band, which is a women's organization in Dublin. They were ready to go. But... Then it gets leaked to the papers that this is going to happen, and then Owen McNeil, who's in charge of the volunteers, says, and puts a page in the front page of the paper, full full pages, all manoeuvres on Sunday are cancelled. So a much smaller group goes out, and really, it's just, it really only happens in Dublin. It doesn't really happen across the rest of the country. And they take over a few places in, in the city, not just the GPO, which is the General Post Office. That was the main, the one they had taken over. It was it was in the, the, the Sackville Street, it was at the time, O'Connell Street now. That was the centre of the city. They took over the Royal College of Surgeons as well, Boland's Mill, um, a bunch of other places there too. And it, it, it was... It went on for about a week, but eventually, as you kind of see in the film, reasonably accurately, they just started shelling the crap out of the GPO. Like they brought a gunboat, the HMS Helga, up yeah. the Liffey, started shelling them. Uh, more civilians died than like our British Army or Irish yeah, in, people. In the movie, it was a pretty good recreation, <laughs> yeah. I assume, for all the explosions, unless they used the real one. And, but this is the thing, though, and like as we kind of said, the people in Ireland were not in favour of this. Like people, like I said, there, my great grandfather was off fighting, so was his, his brother, who didn't yeah, they were survive the war. They're not having a pint while you're shooting at people. There, there was a load of people in this country. They had husbands, they had sons off fighting for the British, and they didn't see that as being anti-Irish because it was they were fighting for our freedom in a sense. So this was not a popular opinion. 
in the streets of Dublin. These people were seen as, you've just destroyed our city, you've killed uh, about 200 plus of our people, and, you know, why did you do this? There was no point to this. And that's what the public opinion was right up until, as it's shown in the film, they execute the leaders, and then everything changes. That was the yeah, huge the turning point in Irish history. Respected people in Irish history... <laughs> And they were all just shot unceremoniously. And it's it's worth noting as well, where De Valera is in the cell writing the letter, he wasn't executed because he was an American. This is 1916. The Lusitania had been sunk at this time. They were trying to get the Americans to join World War One, so they couldn't do anything that would risk that. And Americans were generally quite pro let Ireland be free, so this would be too antagonistic. The only other leader that wasn't executed was Countess Markovich because she was a woman. Well, I mean, of course. Yeah. So uh, I think... One of the most important scenes in the movie now, uh, which really highlights Ireland as a whole, is when they get stuck behind a load of sheep. That, I, I love this <laughs> I, I must say, like, this is, uh, like, Collins and Harry, uh, Bol- Harry Boland, another leader at the time, get off a train, they, they get into the car and they're driving off, and they're being followed by, you know, the the, the RIC, the, the Royal yeah. Irish Constabulary. Um, The term G-men actually originates in Ireland. Yeah. yeah. As, as some people might not know. Um... And then yeah, they get caught and, stuck behind a load of sheep. And then he gets up and asks them, what, what do you eat for breakfast, lads? Like, yeah, because it's lovely like, and well, cocky. The, the context there being that the conjecture that the that Collins and them have is that the G-men know everything about them so much that they know what they have for breakfast. And so they're going to have to learn what the other lads eat for breakfast. But it's just, it's so funny getting caught behind a load of sheep because it does happen on uh, old country roads still to this day I think particularly like th- down that part of that's like West Cork like I think that's pretty common yeah I mean where we are here it's kind of more cattle country if you will so, yeah uh, it is on some of the old, old Boharines you might call them you get stuck behind uh, the cows being moved from field to field I thought it was a nice little nice. it's yeah. a nice little kind of lighter scene yeah and then I even suppose. up if you're uh, up in the mountains where the, the sheep are kind of allowed to roam free you uh, on occasion get one right next to the road or walking down yeah. the end of the road and you're just stuck there so uh, quite accurate, still happens yep. to this very day. So then I think the another great speech you have uh, in the square. Yeah, <clears throat> so this this is based on a, a real speech that Collins gave. Now, yeah, this, clearly the man was a, oh, he's a very, a very good sp- uh, speaker. Um, but th- this is a slight historical inaccuracy, not severe, but this, this is from a, a by-election that took place in 1917, not 1918, as the film says. Now, I see that as actually fairly harmless. There was, an, there was a, a general election taking place at the time. So I think it's it's not a it's not an egregious mistake, but yeah. the, the the famous there's a famous picture of Collins standing like by these signposts, doing like you know putting the arm, giving this it really making yeah, a very impassioned it's, speech. It's the, the cover for the movie, I think, at least it's it's yeah, it, it's it's uh, Liam Neeson is actually recreating this famous yeah. photograph of Michael Collins, but that's that's what that's from. But yeah, like, I think that's a minor thing. I wouldn't like, really you, get too much. You really that. see how great he is at speaking because there's a bunch of uh, police there then and they all start attacking yeah. the, the civilians who are kind of up in arms at this point and uh well it, it, it's worth saying that this was still in the after effects of, of world war one and yeah. they, they, they'd forbidden people to meet in large groups and you know there there'd been a very big thing in this country as well about they'd wanted to bring in conscription in ireland because they were they because they were just marching men after their deaths in like from out coming out of the trenches um in in france in world war one that they needed to replace them with new men and then asking politely wasn't really working because it's like where's like my friends and stuff yeah. like that so they tried they already had conscription in the in the great britain in the mainland but they didn't have it over here yet and that was a big thing, so they were really trying to go against Sinn Féin and everything against that. So, yeah, not 
and actors. The next big scene, then we have a bit of singing. We, uh, we Irish apparently love a lot of singing. Not not so much in recent times, but in the past, obviously, before we had radio and television. I mean, we have it's si- singing. About an old sing song. We have like singing Bonds and singing Jedi's. Oh, we have everything. Uh, <laughs> you need to get that film where Ewan McGregor, McGregor sings in. Which one? Uh, Moulin Rouge, I think he sings the song, doesn't he? I know, I know he sings in um, Phantom Menace. Yeah. <laughs> I say, here's a blues song it's called Dead Sticks <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah and obviously we get introduced to Kitty uh, as I'm obviously not as versed in history was she an actual person or yeah, is that she was yeah, no, she so... was she was actually Michael Collins fiance that, yeah, that, just... that, that's yeah this whole love triangle with her Collins and Boland just gotta say it going forward there's not really historical basis for it some people are like maybe but it's it kind of seems like she was like mad into Collins I, I don't I believe she didn't remarry actually after he died so. oh that's sad but look, I mean, at least it was an actual thing that was happening and not something that they put in just to... Oh, no, no, there, there was a key, the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think the love triangle thing is a bit forced at times, but it wasn't... It's not that bad. Um, yeah. I think Julie Roberts doesn't do a bad job with the Irish accent. Like, she's all right. I mean... She's not great, but it's... There could... Like, there's a lot more egregious accents we've discussed yeah. in these films, so yeah, I think... Yeah, she does a, a fair job. I think, like, as well, I think people like Kitty Carnarvon probably would have had a slightly more upper class kind of Irish accent. I believe she was originally from kind of properly South Dublin. So I think having a slightly more Americanized. Yeah, I I guess I'd I'd be willing to kind of let her off with that. I I think definitely great to Harry Boland's accent is a bit. Yeah. It's a little off at times. I mean, even Liam Neeson (laughs) kind of makes it very lyrical, you know what I mean? But I, I think that I, he's know, just such a. Of... But he's just very charming, though. And I, I think that is kind of a good thing. He, oh yeah, it does yeah. well for for what he's doing. And he is like literally bigger. He's literally the big fella. He's more imposing than yeah. he. I think, which is a great little thing they did. Yeah, so it so... was very well. I think he was perfectly cast for Collins. Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah. Uh, then we have the raid on the barracks, which was actually great. So this is kind of where you start to see the the creation of guerrilla warfare. Yeah, this is uh, flying columns. Yeah, and. Just as I think we've discussed before, Ireland being the place that uh, guerrilla warfare started, we basically invented well, it. Modern guerrilla yeah, warfare, of course. Really, yeah. <laughs> I mean, before it was just guerrillas. I, I mean, there were Jewish uh, rebels against the Romans, uh, you know, using guerrilla warfare back in the, you know, er, early BC. So, I mean, it's worth saying we didn't invent it. I, I think sure. I'll, I'll give that one to the Jews. <laughs> oh, you heard it first. <laughs> one for the Jews. <laughs> They've had a rough time. Um, forever (laughs) yeah so but you know he's like we we have all these guns we have no bullets what are we supposed to do and it's like here's a solid turf with like the the hook in it is like that's not a weapon it's like yes it is a weapon and he just sticks it in the fire and And like what is it now he's like yeah (laughs) putting fire in people's faces yeah and it's it's just a brilliant scene just chucking all the the burning turf Onto the, the thatch roof, I think it was, yep. of the uh, RIC barracks. And getting the guns and then, then. And yep. then just tricking them. Just, like, literally bold-faced. We have no bullets, but we're going to pretend that we do. And hopefully they'll just drop their their guns. Like, if one of them decided to shoot, it would all be over. Like, they'd be like no, yep. they had no bullets. We are going to kill them all. Yeah. And but it, it worked. Oh, it was great. And then they got all the, the, the proper... He's like, oh, it's like Christmas or something, he says. Yeah, and they get all the guns, great. which is great. And, uh... What would you say to to Collins calling himself the Minister for Mayhem? Eh, I mean, he was intermittently... Like, I think it's worth saying as well, we we did have our own Republican government at the time, and it was... We talked about the elections there earlier. They worked for the British House of Commons at the time. Now, Sinn Féin didn't take their seats. I think we discussed this a little bit before. Um... So we said, oh, we're going to stand in your elections, but if our candidates win, in in contrast to the Irish Parliamentary Party, who, who would take their seats, we will 
not take our seats in a British Parliament because we won't we won't swear allegiance to the king, but we we're going to actually set up our own Parliament, a doll, um, in Dublin, and they set up their own government as well. And it it it's actually kind of a as you see, kind of later film, they have like cabinet meetings and doll yeah, meetings yeah, yeah. and everything else. They set up a proper system. Like in in the other, there's another great film about this called The Wind That Shakes the Barley around the oh, same yeah. kind of time. It it deals with a lot of the same topics, and in that film, it actually shows it a bit more in that the you know we had like doll courts, like we had our own legal system and that was set up we had our own system of local government we actually had our own police force separate from the volunteers because the volunteers became our army but we actually had our own police force as well independent of the British one so the kind of smart thing I, I think to give a lot of people credit here is that we set up our own parallel system to the British so that when I suppose we knew that we were going to become independent it was already kind yeah, of there basis we did we to build yeah. off of it rather than start I, I, I think it is kind of worth I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mentioning that, that there's a lot more there than people think. And when you see them kind of meeting and doing, it wasn't like a Mickey Mouse job. They were actually building a, a state, a functioning state at the time. Yeah, so I think the the big twist then is that the G-Man who's been following him the whole time is uh, Ned, bas- Ned Broy. Yeah, who basically just... Uh, turns on the Brits because of Collins' speeches. Is that historically accurate, or do we? No, the, the, Ned Broy is a real character. Um, now, oh, I'm sure he's a real character. He now, is. But, but was he real in, <laughs> Ned, in Broy, Ned, Ned Broy did exist, and he was. He, he wasn't Collins' only person that was inside yeah. Dublin Castle. There, there were a few. I'm sure, more. they probably just amalgamated. Yeah, well, he well, he, did, he he was a real person, and he did do that, but not to quite. He, he, whether he was like the most significant is is a bit debatable. Yeah. There were about two others Collins had as well, but he did he did make a big impact. Now there was some inaccuracies with him, which we'll get to a little bit later. I'm sure, but no, I mean he he was, yeah. and he I, I think as but, well Stephen Ree who, who plays him. Obviously, we we saw him in the previous film. Um, I think quite a good range as an actor because like he's playing more kind of oh, yeah, very working class north sider, but. I think his accent work is quite good here as well. Yeah. He's from the north, and he, we've seen him play like an upper class kind of Dublin person, and now a, a, a kind of more working class kind of Dublin cop, and a bit smarmier. Yeah, he's not really the good guy. He's not really the bad guy. He's the guy, <gasps> as a philosopher, Roman philosopher once said. No, uh, but yeah, it just it, it really goes to show how good Collins was at speaking that he was able to turn one of the G-men over to his side. Well, yeah, but I mean, they were Irish as well. Like, I know, but yeah. you, you, when you're that entrenched in something and you know that if you go against it, you're probably going to get hung. Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, I, but I think it is worth saying, like, a lot of these cops, this is before the black and tans, like, the British had sent over people. These were still, like, RIC and, like, the Dublin Metropolitan Police. They were 
Irish people be like working for the British is, yeah. is kind of how it was. And like then we get a great scene that could have been out of James Bond where uh, Collins, just bold as anything, wanders right into Dublin Castle. Yeah, where the, the British rule the country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, this is like the most important place in the country for the Brits, like, and he just wanders in because they have no idea what he looks like. Just fucking goes in, it's like... It's great. Oh, just no, not a care in the world. And he gets into the, the file room with all... Yeah. It? They have uh, files on, like, Sinn Féin. And the IRB and, the and, and everything. And so he's like... Anything that comes in here, I want it copied. Yeah. And uh, now, I think as you say, this probably didn't happen in real life. Probably but, not. I mean, you have Col- to have Col- like Collins, balls of fucking steel. Like Collins did have about three people, possibly more, working in the castle, including Ned Broy. And he probably never was physically in there himself until much later when like we, we had the castle. So, but it's possible that someone did do something similar to this from what we can kind yeah, of tell. Can... There's still a lot we don't know about this because a lot of the records were either destroyed or they were kind of on the down low. Yeah. Like, there's other bits we're going to talk about later where we don't actually know what happened because there weren't records kept strictly for reasons. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what reasons those could be. Mm. Um, so yeah, then Collins decides to uh, threaten all the G-men and uh, we get some visceral death scenes. I we mean, do. The first one where he just blows your man's brains out. I was like, oh shit. Like, I was coming out of mass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. There was the, the one before that where he's just in the market. Oh, right. And your man sorry. just goes right up under his chin. Yeah. And, like, the back of his his head just blows off. Yeah. And it's like, god damn it. Well, and then mean, the one you were talking about, a mass, where he, yeah. he, what's it? He gets the he, ass for the paper. Yeah, but uh, the, the paper's the next day are saying, riddled with bullets. It's yeah. Like, Why do like, you don't grow on trees. Why do you don't riddle people. <laughs> 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 we don't have a lot of them use one yeah because this is them putting together the squad uh, yeah. or the 12 apostles as they were known as well and this is Colin basically said look I'm not fighting on their terms anymore I'm going to get a bunch of people I know I can trust a very small group and they're going to go out and do these kind of underhand like he's not fighting them on their own level yeah it's not a war it's no it, it's it's an insurgency and it's a lot and Colin says this in the film and it's, it is true that spies have always managed to get into these large things like some of the United Irishmen in 1798 and the, the Athenian uprisings in like 1803 and even 1916 to a certain extent so this was I know I can trust these guys yeah. they are young they have nothing to lose they'll go out and do these things and it's kind of an Another thing, talking about who's in the squad, you know, you have there's there were more than twelve people, shockingly, but it includes yes. people like Sean Lamas, who was later Taoiseach of this country under nice. De Valera, because you know they were also on the same side at this point. People like Brendan Bean's father was in this as well, um, and Padder Carney, who was Brendan Bean's uncle, who actually wrote the, the the lyrics for our national anthem around the V, and was a very important writer as well. Were in this, and even like we, as we talked about, she was earlier. There were Jewish people in the squad as well, the Briscoes, who I were. Uh, Jews were actually very supportive of um, this uh, the chief rabbi of Ireland at the time Yitzhak uh, Herzog who, um, he was called the Sinn Féin rabbi because he used to <laughs> he used to he used to shield them but I mean the thing was Collins was kind of smart because he had Protestants and Jews working for them and he could have them do things that his other Catholic men couldn't because he was a devout Catholic they couldn't follow the British into Protestant churches because at the time you'd be excommunicated if you went in there, even if you were, you know, were to and you kind of have a different kind of somewhat ambivalent towards this. But okay. he was smart to realize, oh, these guys can go in there, but we can't. And it was like, yeah, look at it's Agar, whatever your name is. We're going to need you to eat some beef on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do it. We just it has to be fish for us now. <laughs> yeah. You can go places that we just can't follow. 
Like, yeah, so like, I love that you've seen the Herzog. Like, his son, Chaim, um, actually became president of Israel. Nice. As he grew up in Dublin. And it's, well, I, 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 I think that's not, we're not saying we support the state of Israel on this podcast. But strictly. we're not saying we don't support it either. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll be very neutral. We'll, we just be, we'll just be careful about that. But uh, I, I just love how like he became president of Israel and he comes back to Dublin to open a Jewish museum here. And he's a space like, yeah, my dad was in the Ra. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who wasn't at this stage? Yeah. So. The next scene, I think, is really great with the uh, the raid on the safe house where they're just flying out through the, the windows up, up onto the roof. It's great. And yeah. Collins is, is torching the whole place. Hmm. And it just, it, like, it happened so fast. And, you know, it just shows how how much prepared they were for that eventuality to have people watching, lookouts and everything ready to go. Well, it was because, I mean, they, they they had to keep a step ahead. And Collins was, like, smart enough. Like, yeah, the squad, but he, was, he kind of had his own intelligence operation as well. Yeah. And that was kind of the... The step he was above them. Um, I think the next big thing is uh, the prison break. Yeah, the prison break where they're heading off to England. Uh, there was a great quote from it that I actually wrote down because I, I hope this is an actual Collins quote. But uh, he says, "I hate them for making me hate, or for making hate necessary." Yeah, and it's like, what a quote! I hope that's actually from him. I probably should have checked. I'm not sure, but, uh, but I hope so. But it's it's a, a lovely kind of message of how. He didn't want to be doing what he was doing. Yeah. He just wanted Ireland to be its own country, but they were forcing him to do that. violence out yeah. of it. Yeah, so he goes... So De Valera is... He was the leader. He's the president of Sinn Féin. Uh, he's also an MP, although yeah. he, he doesn't, he, he's a TD. He's, he doesn't attend that. Um, so, like, the British have locked up a member of their own parliament. Yeah. Who, like, you know, who was a dual citizen, of course, he is American. It's the only reason he's still alive. And then he tricks a priest. He, he tricks a priest. I love it. He, he gets the he gets the key, and then like he pushes into like a soft candle and like sends yeah. the candle over so they have a, they can make a copy of the key. Which is brilliant. It's genius and. Like I, the real, the real part I love about the prison escape is that like they hop the wall. And yeah, this is to, probably one of the most famous parts about the whole the, thing. Yeah, they 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 have to like because like back in the day you'd have you know you, if you're getting out of prison you might be missing. Uh, well, I mean, look, prison guards as well. I was prison, but, I mean, you might be missing the company yeah. of the lady, and there were certain the ladies, ladies of the, of the night, night, belle de jours, whatever you call them. Um, or you know, around there. So obviously, they wouldn't think anything if they saw like a girl dressed in a particular way outside the wall. So obviously, if he if he just hop the wall, like dress him up like a, you know a tartan, as they say in the film. Yeah, this did happen, by the way. This, oh, yeah, this is this is accurate. Oh, so good. And then they get into the car, and uh, I think it's either Collins or, or Boland were like, "You're the first man to whore for the country." <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, great. Brilliant. Absolutely br- brilliant. The dev goes like, there are some things even I wouldn't do for Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Which is brilliant. Um, yeah, so like, then they, they they get back to Ireland and they have a fucking parade for him. And it's so good because you can like see the, yeah. the, the RIC lads watching. They can't do anything because there, there's thousands of people. This, pr- I don't think this happened on quite the scale as in the film. But Possibly, but it's still great yeah, to see. Yeah, it's, it's still, it's still it's nice. Like, like, we've, Broke him out of prison, and there's so many people here you cannot touch him. Oh, because there'd be a riot. Yeah, yeah, you, you can't. And I mean, <laughs> there, aren't, there aren't enough police in the entire country for the amount of people <laughs> who'd be protecting Dev. Well, it, it's like you know, then Dev's like he has to go to America to raise funds, which did happen. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. And th- th- we we talked about this in in the last one. Well, we talked about it a couple of times. But... Well, we actually specifically talked about it because it was to do with um the Sinn Fein funds case, like I said, yeah. where the the high the Serene Court said Sinn Fein wasn't Sinn Fein. This is actually when Dev raised all this money and they later brought it to the High Court so this was actually quite important it was a very large amount of money they raised yeah 
Uh, so then there's another raid on the house where they're living. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, like, it's a common theme throughout the movie is Collins and Bolin sleeping in the same bed. And now we have Dev stuck in there as well. It's like <laughs> three to a fucking bed. The poor bastards. Like, yeah. Their backs must be broken from from the amount of sleeping head to foot that they were doing. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's fine. They get away anyway. And they yeah. hide them under a car. And it's, you know. Yeah, get them Whisk him away to it's very America. much a, it's a game of cat and mouse, but um, I, I suppose at this point you kind of see the change. Like you see the thing in the cinema, where, like the black and tans are coming over here now. Yeah, yeah, was, and this is when it changes. I mean, it gets much more vicious. Yeah, everything kind of scales up quite a lot because you have the the Belfast lads are coming down and they're talking to the the G man who's turned uh, whose name I Ned Bright, Ned Bright, and. Uh, they're like, you know, oh, we're, things are changing around here. They get into the car and then yeah. Bray's walking away. And, and the car just fucking blows up. And brilliant. It's like, brilliant. Because, like, <laughs> they seem so imposing. Like, if you're just watching the movie with no uh, knowledge of what is actually yeah. happening, you it's see these guys and like, oh, my God, these guys are going to fuck Collins up. Yeah. It's like, nope, gone. We blew them up immediately. Uh, fucking great. Um, that There was no car bomb inside Dublin Castle ever. But it is true that some guys from Belfast were sent down and they didn't. They basically were taken care of quite quickly. I know. It's still yeah. funny though. It's still funny. Oh no, it's, it's like, not. It's a great scene. It's and a, uh, on a side note to that, if you ever are in a bar and you order an Irish car bomb, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Don't do that. I mean... We said this before, but we'll say it again. Yeah. Don't do that. It's just an awful thing to ask for. Um, you wouldn't do it for any other thing where people died. I, I'm not going to go to a bar in New York no, and say... we're not doing that. I'm cutting that. So anyway... I was going to say Long Island iced tea. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to say. <laughs> you mean a three-mile island iced tea? <laughs> hey, closing the dark. <laughs> there we go. We, we saved it. We it's saved just like it. to That's not as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> God damn it. So uh, then I, I think the as Boland is heading for the train, you kind of get a bit of context of what the difference was between Ireland and America at the time, where Kitty's asking, uh, do American women wear trousers? And I think that's such a, a big thing for them to be asking. It is. Do American women wear trousers? So mad. <laughs> yeah, um, which is grand. But, I, you know, then, then we kind of get the, the Cairo gang. Come over here. Yeah, These yeah, now this yeah. now this is true. These were basically the British were like Ryan were sending over the black and tans who wore special constables to the RIC. These were former soldiers and criminals. And they're called Ooh. black and tans because they had mismatched outfits. The tan outfit was a kind of the, the British tropical kind of uniform yeah. and the black was kind of the RIC's main kind of coat. So it was mismatched. Uh, these people are scumbags. Oh, these yeah. people are monsters. Uh, they also had the auxiliaries as well who were former officers who were the real masterminds of a lot of the massacres out and across the country. I want to say like, it, you know, don't joke about the black and tans and shit in this country in particular. That you will get, you know, that's how you get punched in the face. Yeah. Like, But what if, say... <laughs> The previous government wanted to celebrate the Black and Tans now. Yeah, you would see, would that be okay, Rob? That wouldn't be okay, Stu. Oh, I, I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. No, Finnegale can go fuck themselves with a very sharpened stick. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, like, the Kyre gang then were kind of like the the best from the British kind of cops and stuff had. So they yeah. brought them over to kind of fix these things. I can't remember why exactly they're called the Cairo gang. I think it was something to do with. Well, surely they owned Cairo at the time. And... Yeah, I think it was something to do with they'd served like the foreign service over there or something. I'm not really too sure, but they're led by uh, Soames, led by Charles Dance. Yes, it was really underused in this film, as I've said before. But he's such a great presence. Like he's just like he's this big, tall, towers yeah. over. You know, Broy calls him boy, and he's like, "It's Broy, Broy, sir. Yeah, it's Broy is what I said." Yeah, uh, and he's just such an intimate. Like he's just such this like. It's he's the, the ba- he's like the bad guy. In it's this always film. just like that. The, the really sharp, angular face just yeah. makes him look so sinister. 
But he just looks like you know, oh, this is the English guy. Like, yeah, this is then, the main bad guy. Yeah, and, and then with the uh, accent, it just really cuts you to the bone. It is like, but it's. So, I think it's he's just perfectly cast as just like the archetypal kind of upper class Brit. And yeah. it's just, he is perfect in this. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the Cairo gang, um, you know, start going out with these things and they, they start going after them. And then Broy slips up. Yeah. And Collins is like trying to plan to take them out and he's getting bit. But then Broy goes goes to the hotel that they've been told not to go to because Collins knows something is up here. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's... And then they catch Broy. And... While well, he's burning documents. Yeah. And uh, fuck, actually, he... just before that, yep. we have the, the quick scene where the cleaner was stealing... Oh no, it's from Soames. Uh, yeah. Rubbish. And it's like, that really helped them. They get the actual names and addresses of the, the people because they, they, could, like, they couldn't find anything about these guys. They're being very careful, but they, they do. And yeah, sorry. And then I should say, so they're, they're planning, he's planning to get the squad to go and take care of these guys. Yeah, and he knows this one, is a yeah. big one because he realized there'd be retaliations from this. They can't have any, like, no one sleeps in their, their own beds tonight. They, like, if there's any, if a hint of this gets out, they're going to be, like, be lifted, as they say, yeah, they're going to yeah. be taken. And, they're, and they're, these guys aren't messing around it. They're beating the shite out of people. Yeah, I suppose it kind of, it shows how close everything was. Yeah. Like, literally to have just someone who was working in the hotel that he was staying in who yeah. picked up something out of the rubbish, yeah. and it just happened to be the names of everyone who was so, in the Cairo gang. Then we move on to, um, you know, Bloody Sunday. Sunday, the Bloody first, Sunday. The first Bloody Sunday in Irish yeah. history. Spoilers, there's been quite a few of them, and they all seem to involve the British Army killing people. Oh, it's almost like uh, they enjoy making or doing war crimes. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, so anyway, just a bit. So they get Ned Broy anyway, uh, just to get back to that, and they beat him to death effectively. Now I think in, in it they hang him at the end. They well, yeah, but they clearly they beat the crap yeah, out of yeah, him. He's... But but anyway, so anyway, um, this this is one of the more egregious. Like this whole bit is like the most historically inaccurate bit in the film, and I'll just say. But so stay in real life, Ned Broy did die right in 1975 of a hanging. Yeah, after he served a long term as Commissioner of Angardi Shiakana, our National Police Force. Now, Ned Roy didn't die at this time. He survived the Civil War, ended up going off with De Valera, and he, he became Commissioner of Angardi, our National Police Force. He was actually passed over. He passed over several higher up ranking people because Deb was like, I need one of my guys yeah. after the Civil War, not one of... Look, the uh, common Aguil people. I think it's another one of those artistic licenses <laughs> where they, they've amalgamated yeah. a couple of people and so they kind of they've just moved them out of the You see, Broy, the Broy is a real person, and but there, none of the other people who Collins had spying in Dublin Castle were actually caught at all. Yeah. This, so, but Broy himself, because he is a real person, yeah. did, did die in 75. He was one of the longer-lived people who was involved in this, actually. He yeah. died the same year as De Valera did. Yeah, so anyway, I think back to Bloody Sunday. <laughs> yep. So they go, the squad go off and they, they kill the members of the Cairo gang in varying different ways. Yeah, and as retaliation. Yeah, this is, this is, uh, they go to Croke Park, which we, we discussed a little bit before. This is yeah. our, one of our national stadium for. We might do it for any uniquely area. We might do it actually, yeah. It's, it's, it's for like our, our Gaelic sport specifically. So this is like hurling, yeah, Gaelic football. Recently least, that we've allowed other. Yeah, we, we talked about this a little before and like when we talked about our Irish sports and uniquely Irish and the previous episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there was a match taking place at the time. I believe it was Kilkenny in Dublin. I stand to be corrected on that. As always. Same two all the time. As of, like we're not there. But, um, and so the, there's a bunch of armored cars come in and start shooting up the thing. After yeah. like, uh, Ger Hogan, who was the, the footballer who was killed, kicks the ball over and then he gets this machine gunned. Yeah. I mean, it's a dark <laughs> scene. I mean, it's, Jesus, it's hard to watch it knowing, is. knowing that it actually happened. This like this is the scene that makes you like say fuck it I'm joining the rat yeah like this like I mean if, if they didn't have enough support before 
shooting <laughs> a, a bunch of innocent civilians at a GAA match. <clears throat> That's going to get you some sign-ups. Now, okay, this is very historically inaccurate. Now, in the sense that this did happen. This, yeah. this, this did happen. 12 people died, including Michael Hogan, who the Hogan stand in Croke Park is currently named after. This did happen in retaliation to this. And these were completely innocent people watching, you know, a hurling match. Sorry, yeah, it's, 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 sorry, it was football, I think, actually. Yeah, Gaelic football. Apologies. Uh, Gaelic football. What actually happened was they didn't drive <coughs> armoured uh, person, like armored cars with like machine guns into the yeah. middle of the pitch. What they did was actually much worse, Stu. What they did was they locked all the gates, Lovely. barricaded all the gates, then they climbed the wall and started shooting in at rifles individually at people, and then they prevented you from being able to run out. And then if you got out, they just beat the shit out of you with uh, batons. Yep, so, sounds like a war crime so, to me. Yeah, you see, that is a war crime. But of course it wasn't, because those weren't soldiers, they were special constables. All right. Of course. So that awful chapter in our history happened, and then Dev and Harry come back from America. Yeah, that was nice. <laughs> See them back again. It is, and I suppose this is kind of the interesting thing. Now they have the cabinet meeting, and Dev like stands up and says, "Oh, the British are willing to negotiate." Yeah, with I, us. I think this is kind of where you start to see. A bit of the disconnect between Dev and Collins. Yeah, and in particular how Dev is kind of almost, he's been away for a while and he doesn't really get the way things are because he's talking about, they're willing to negotiate us, but they yeah. see us as murderers. We have to play by their rules and do like large scale attacks. Yeah, where, whereas Collins has been going the opposite. Like we're not playing by their fucking rules anymore and doing well with it. He's kind of, he's, he's almost become a leader in his own right, whereas he was yeah. kind of underneath. Exactly. And I suppose he's like, Colin's tactics have worked with the squad and everything else. Yeah. They're underhand, but this is the way you do it. And Dev wants him to do full scale attacks. And then I go, they get to seem like they're escaping out of there. And the Black and Tans literally lynch a fucking guy. Like they literally yeah. hang him. And that's pretty brutal. Um, Then you get Dev and Harry go to meet, uh, sorry, Harry and Collins meet Dev in his house and they're having a chat and they talk yeah. about the aftermath. What they're talking about is, um, the customs house attack so this was when dev came back from america in, in real life that is um he said look we got to stop with this we're going to fight them so they the, the customs house is a large building in dublin it's actually on the liffey in the north side it's um currently it's used for our department of education and i think our department of housing use it it's a big building with a big green dome down down the north side of the liffey big building where very little gets done it's yeah 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 um it's 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 very close to Connolly Station. If you if you go from like on the dart out that way, you'll always pass by it. So they decided to. This is like British use for customs and like a bunch of things, and they had a lot there. So Dev was like, right, we're gonna do like a proper full scale attack on it. So they had about two hundred men attack it. Lovely. Uh, this was a disaster because they weren't used to fighting this way. Eighty men were killed, and then the rest were captured. Yeah, yeah. You don't even really see the actual fight. It's you, mostly the. You don't. It's mostly what they're saying, but it, it kind of gets the point across. This was a complete disastrous thing. This like this change in tactics did not work. The British were like like way oh, yeah, like, built, built yeah. in there. They they were like ready for these kind of attacks, and this, this didn't work. And it's even like the, after this scene where you know, Colin says to Dev, "We can afford to fight for one week after," because of how much yeah. manpower they've lost and weapons. They've yeah, lost, and that was a lie. Even yeah, and it's true because we, we we like we could do the hit and run tactics. We do the flying columns, it, fighting them on like a one to one basis. We could never do that. They had you know ten times our population. Yeah, not not a chance. Like and, and thing is, the war World War One is over now, and they can, they can bring all that might to us. Yeah. I mean, they're already burning. They, in real life, they'd burn Cork City to the ground at this point. They'd massacre innocent people. They were using human shields against like using like innocent people putting them in front of cars and then shooting into churches they were burning people's houses down they were killing children you know so monsters what we're saying is the brits not the best bunch of lads no 
And I mean, I, I don't want to say like, you know, as we said before, we did the foreigner, like we're not like this IRA recruitment podcast at no, all. I mean, look, it's hard to watch this film and not get riled in, up. In about the past, it. they've done some pretty bad stuff. Yeah. And we're not blaming current British people for it. No. But it needs to be known, and at times it's something that they don't learn about. They don't, and the fact that they're still defending uh, soldiers who were in the other bloodies in 1972 in yeah. Derry for, you know, just going on trial because you, sh- like, 12, like, 13 innocent, unarmed people didn't just shoot themselves. Look, it happens. It happens, yeah. So, uh, I suppose <laughs> then the next big thing is Collins is being sent over to England for negotiations. Yes. Now, and th- he believes that it's a bit of a setup, that it's going to go badly. Yeah, see, now this is the the, the, the treaty of negotiations. At this point, the British were like, look, particularly under a lot of American pressure, because, like, Versailles had just, the treaty of Versailles had stopped the war in Germany. It was very much a case of, right, we need to put an end to this and it was Northern Ireland had they, they tried to do like a, a, a government of Ireland that tried to do the home rule thing again but yeah. in, exclude Northern Ireland where there was like a, a unionist Protestant majority they had basically become their own functioning country at the time in the north and they were like oh we're happy with this actually and then Ireland didn't so this was them trying to get some kind of an agreement and Repu- the Republic was never on the cards that was never going to happen and De Valera did yeah, not that time did like the initial talks but and he was much more like oh I'm a head of state and we had them upgrade his title instead of yeah. president of Dollar and president of the Irish Republic. So he's like equal with the king and <clears throat> so you know he kind of maybe knew he he couldn't get it. So he sent over Collins and, and a few other people as well. Arthur Griffith who was a founder of Sinn Féin actually and was president of the Republic after De Valera. He died shortly before shortly after Collins of a brain hemorrhage actually. And a few other people like there Robert Barton um and uh, a few other people and they'll negotiate with people like Winston Churchill David Lloyd George uh, Lord Birkenhead and yeah who uh, I don't think we've really spoken much about but Winston Churchill was basically the mastermind of a lot of the atrocities that yeah. happened in Ireland Churchill was in charge of a lot of these things he he personally kind of sent over a lot of the black and tangs and auxiliaries so yeah. I mean look we all you can say respect what he did during World War 2 yeah but but at the same time that doesn't make him a good person no, it doesn't. And I, like people like praise like David Lloyd George is one of the greatest prime ministers ever. And it's like, yes, if you want to look at like constitutionally speaking, we talk like about the Parliament Act and all that. Yeah, I can understand that and his leadership in World War One. However, he sent the black and tans and auxiliaries to this country and wouldn't give us peace. And he can fucking you know fuck off. I don't care. Yeah. I, I, and the thing about it is like. Collins got this deal basically he was basically told this by David Lloyd George who was the Prime Minister of the UK at the time that right, here's your deal basically we're not going to negotiate anymore and George says I have two letters here they're addressed to the Prime Minister of Northern Ireland um, I, I think was James Craig at the time he says one says I, unfortunately there is the, going to be a grave and massive war in Ireland tomorrow starting tomorrow like at this point he's like I recognise his government which means I can actually send in the army at this point Yeah. and the other one was oh, we've just reached an agreement. And he just says, which one do you want me to send because I'm sending one of these now? Like, and Collins had no choice at that point. That That's kind of yeah, what happened. Yeah, I mean, but, he was forced into it, really. But Collins going to realise he wasn't going to get the, this republic and independence that Dev had said. Like, it was, as he says when he comes back to De Valere, it's the freedom to achieve freedom. And Collins realised that this was always a stepping stone to independence. Yeah, of course. But uh, then obviously when he comes back, there's a, a bit of a, an argument over it. Yep. And uh, they vote in favour of becoming a free state. Yeah, this is this is a, a much like thing of the of the treaty debates that happened. There was actually an election between this and in terms of, like there were pro treaty and anti treaty candidates, both both Sinn Fein who were running here. Yeah. Then they had the debates. It was quite narrow. It was like fifty seven to forty eight, I think, is what it yeah, boiled so down small, to. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, so obviously it passes and so Ireland becomes a free state and Deb decides that he's going to leave and uh, start a civil war. Yeah, I mean, it's... <clears throat> well, by the way, it's nice, it's nice to see they actually use the mansion house, which is the, the Lord Mayor's residence in Dublin, as the actual doll, which would have been correct at the oh, time. Yeah. That's where they met. So I thought that was a nice little touch, but they actually got that. That's actually completely accurate. Um... The, the guy that's like really roiling against Collins in the thing uh, is the Bema Gerard McSorley, uh, Father Tadumptious, is uh, actually the uh, Cahill Brewer is the person he's playing, who was what was called the most hardcore, the most rabidly Republican member of the government at the time. Uh, he dies in real life shortly after this. Oh. They like surrounded his hotel and they're like, Cahill, come out. And he's like, well, I'll come out. I'll come out shooting with a Tommy gun. <laughs> now, that's so, an Irish death edit, if I've ever heard of He did. And he, it's... Uh, um, he actually had the, the words that are later attributed to Boland in the film. His last dying words were allegedly, um, did they get Mick Collins yet? Oh, fuck. So that was... <laughs> there was a man that yeah. went out swinging. Yeah, but even like the a bit of praise for the directing again is like you have Collins giving a speech. Great and speech. Dev giving a speech. And so it's like cutting between the two. So you have like the opposing speeches that yeah. they're both giving. And it's very it's very well done. I mean, it is it is very well. Like Rickman and Neeson can give great you know performances yeah they were like you can talk about we can talk about kind of Rickman's performances Dev I suppose a little bit if you want to but look I mean obviously it's it's a little odd it gets like I think I think it's very weak particularly when we'll get to it subsequently but I I I think it's the man was a mystery so yeah he comes across like he just comes across as like this is obviously a very pro Michael Collins film being called Michael Collins but Dev is like really shown as being weak and lacking leadership and whether you think that or not I'd be kind of inclined to think he kind of messed up this like Civil War is not all his fault but a good chunk of it is yeah he did become like you know Taoiseach and like president of Ireland afterwards like much later and you know the famous quote at the end of the film I fear that you know Michael Collins greatness will be regarded at my expense yeah just kind of which is true he did did some good stuff he did some bad stuff um I suppose then we we kind of get the, the 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 real start of things where you know we get the handover at Dublin Castle. Yes, which is a, which is a great thing. Is like you're seven minutes late. Like us, I you know yeah, you, you can have seven hundred years. You can have your seven minutes. You've kept us waiting seven hundred years. You can keep, take your seven minutes. I suppose the interesting thing here is so this is Dublin Castle, which we see earlier in the film. And this guy with the big fancy hat is he's the the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, and he, he was like the, the king's personal representative here, effectively the the nominal head of the British yeah. in Ireland. And this this is kind of the interesting thing here. So Collins is uh, being sworn in as the uh, chairman of the provisional government. So as far as the British were concerned, he is the prime minister of the oh. Irish Free State until we get everything sorted. Like, yeah, yeah. It was take, it, and, there was basically a year a year long process of right, we're gonna get our soldiers out and we're gonna get everything kinda of handed over to you and stuff like that. And so there was kind of so he's like kind of this is like a temporary government. This was separate from the Irish Republican government and the right. British administration. So there actually were three separate governments here at the same time. The year, the three governments. Yep. There we go. <clears throat> and the best thing is they were actually three separate parliaments as well. <laughs> it gets it gets messier. But they were all the doll. But some of them included unionists and some didn't. Anyway, I won't get into it. So from from the League perspective here, so this is so from the Irish perspective, this was Collins as a member, as as the head of the army. And as sent by Arthur Griffith, who was this time the president of the Irish Republic, uh, sur- accepting the surrender of the British from uh, Dublin Castle, from from the head, from like, that's General McCready's mind, the head of the army there. From the British perspective, this was the Governor General kissing hands is the, the term they use, uh, basically 
It's him saying, oh, I've met Mr. Collins. I'm now appointing you as the, effectively, the prime minister on behalf of the king. Right. So it was the two different perspectives. So that's what they took from this meeting. And this actually did happen in real life. But like Collins would even say, oh, yeah, he they surrendered. I took it over. Where uh, Fitzwilliam, he was the, very, the only Catholic, the first Catholic Lord Lieutenant since the Reformation, was like saying, oh, yeah, I swore him in as prime minister. That's all grand. So they were both leaving saying, we both won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think is quite funny. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um. Then we get to kind of the big bit where you see the four courts, which you may remember from our previous review. Yeah, the thing that I kind of confused with a different part of the, you did, yeah. So, so this gets seized then by a, a basically the the anti treaty IRA. Now they, don't, yeah. they haven't done anything yet, but I, I suppose like this, this is this was always like the center of the courts in Ireland, and this kind of caused a big issue because we're just after becoming independent, and then the British are like, "Did your major courts in the middle of your capital city just get taken over by rebels?" And Collins is literally right, like. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know, they're just having a bit of a crack, like, they're no, just having maneuvers. There's a small fire over there. No, just, he, he's just like, ah, they're just practicing maneuvers, you know, they're just having a bit of crack, and then, you know, basically, like Lloyd George was basically like, you know, I still have a load of soldiers there, if you can't sort this out, I will. And he's like, ah, so there's nothing happening, and then, like, nothing, he's like, all right. And everything was going fine in real life, Stu, until one day, it was the, the when they, they they were sending more people over, and I was like, is that J.J. O'Connell, the general in the, the Free State Army? It is. Call him over here. Tell him I want to say hi to him. It's like, oh, Liam, how are you? Put a gun in his face. You're a prisoner. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then, Very polite. Very polite. So, so then there, Henry Wilson, who was a Unionist MP in Northern Ireland, he had previously been a general in the First World War for the British Army. He was kind of Irish. He had like land over here. But he, you know, he was like a Unionist. Yeah, yeah. Like, very much, you know, not a popular person, the Irish thing. He was coming out of a war memorial in Liverpool Street Station, I believe. I've actually seen the memorial. And uh, two lads walked up and shot him. Two Irish lads. So yeah. at this point, David Lloyd George says, I'm going to send you some artillery. If you don't sort this right now with your, your stuff in the four courts, I am going to send my men to do it for you. Yeah. And at that point, you're not independent anymore. So it, it, you kind of see this in the film where Collins and they talk about it, but that's sort of what happened in real life. Collins had to do this or else the British were going oh, yeah. back. I mean, it, was, it was all over then. I suppose we kind of might just skip ahead to the end since it, yeah. There's a few bits that happen in between. But, but just to, kind of, just to say your, your point earlier that when they shelled the four courts, this was the destruction of a lot of our old... The, the old records office was there too. This was destroyed. So like a lot of our yeah. old censuses, we had things going back to the 15th century. Yeah, were all burned. All the things that we kind of find out about our ancestors. <laughs> yeah. Which kind of sucks. But sure, what ha- can you do? Harry Boland dies anyway. Yeah. Um, Trying to escape from yeah. the four courts. And he tries to swim out in the river and he gets shot and Collins has like a tear felt thing with him. That didn't exactly happen in real life. But one did die during that, but we won't say. Uh, shout out to my favourite pub in Dublin, the Palace, which is there when oh, the yeah. two guys. Uh, did you recognise the young volunteer who tells him to go to West Cork? I wasn't sure and I wasn't paying. Uh, it's Father Cyril McDuff. Oh, right. yeah, I had too many of my notes. I I, I just recognise it. That's that's Cyril. Um, so then they he's told to go down to West Cork to meet Dev. Now another historical note: Dev probably wasn't down in West Cork at this point. There is no evidence whatsoever to suggest he was anywhere near Collins when he got shot. It, it, like in in the film, like it's literally he's there like crying behind a, yeah, a tail. Yeah, a bit more emotional. It is, and Collins goes down there anyway, meets a few young fellas. Like this is where he's from. Like he's like, my old people won't kill me, and then basically. Basically, you know, he's told go out to bail in the blah. Uh, it's Irish. It means mouth, mouth of flowers is what yeah. it literally translates as. And then, you know, things, yeah, they block the road and there's guys with their guns and, well, he gets shot. Ned. 
Yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much accurate as far as I could tell anyway. There's no the... official report of what happened when he died. I mean, we just have, like, from people... So what you're like... saying is he might still be alive. Yes, Interesting. he's 153, he'd be. I, I look. I don't know. It, no better man. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, we're kind of skipping over this part because it's the sad part because, like, this is contrast like him driving down there shooting back as contrast with a kitty going up in the lift and getting yeah. her wedding dress fitted because they were getting married we, we kind of skipped over the romantic subplot here to kind of talk about history and yeah, i think, I I think mean, look, it's, it's because that's the weakest part of the film being brutally honest it's there i mean i think rob said it earlier maybe i just asked him beforehand but it's not entirely accurate that there was the, the love triangle yeah but... i mean kitty in real life was engaged to him and she, you know, she didn't remarry afterwards, yeah. I, I don't believe. But well, that's um, Harry was dead as well, so mm. there's no one left in the triangle. So, it is, but it's, um, I, I, I think, like, Judy Roberts doesn't do a bad job, but I think, I feel, you had to have Kitty in the film, I think, but I think it was really just putting her in there when she was kind of at the height of her fame. Yeah, I think putting in an Irish actress might have made a bit more sense. I understand. Was it this was trying to be sold to Hollywood? And the, I suppose that the, the spoiler is like this didn't really do well in Hollywood. It did massively well in Ireland, but yeah, it didn't. Course. It didn't really work in Hollywood. So Neeson was kind of an unknown at the time. He wasn't really too prominent. This is before Star Wars and way before Tay. Excuse me. And um, you know, you didn't really have too many other bankable stars there. I mean, so yeah, I, I, sp- it, I suppose you, you needed someone. But I, I think overall, she doesn't do a bad job. Yeah. To kind of broadly talk about Rickman as De Valera, he portrays him very weakly, really, really kind of as this weak, meek kind of character. And I understand like Dev isn't going to be portrayed strongly, and this will be kind of said earlier, yeah. but you know, I think that's it. But, um, but yeah, so Collins meets his sad end. Shot by the the young man who's working for Dave in the head. Probably not what happened. I know, but there, there's plenty. There's plenty. Of, there's plenty the of conspiracy now. theories. Like there's yeah. plenty. There's a bunch of conspiracy theories, like a la JFK, about who shot Collins. Was some people say it was Dev personally? It was the babushka on the grassy knoll. Yeah, some people are saying like there. This was like a a British like sniper assassin that was sent there for some inexplicable. I, I don't think reason. it matters too much. Yeah. I think the the most important part for Ireland as a whole is that he was shot and killed. And things potentially change quite a lot from what things would have been. Oh yeah. And so then kind of the the final notes of the film are really the kind of historically accurate footage from... That was his funeral. It was a massive, massive funeral. And a bit of a a, a crawl of of things that happened after his death. Hmm. How many people went to the funeral and stuff like that. Yeah. That's that's all about right. I mean, I I think the important thing to say here is, you know, this film, as we said, isn't historically inaccurate in a lot of places, but the broad message is, you know, Collins really made a massive difference in our struggle for independence. And Oh yeah, we wouldn't be the country we are. No, we wouldn't. And, you know, read up about this yourself. I think Seven Steve have both said there's a fantastic, although very one-sided documentary made in 73 um, by uh, Richard Griffiths, I think, uh, Hang Up Your Best Colours. Yeah. Which is, it's just like him being a massive Welsh nationalist, just saying how great Collins was and like these pieces to camera. It's very, very well done. And there's a bunch of other documentaries about him. You've got Ireland's Greatest um, with his grandnephew of, of one of his contemporaries, if, or former uh, Deputy Prime Minister uh, Michael McDowell makes the case he's the greatest Irish person ever. And um, he was against like Bono and you know Mary Robinson's so oh. not, not quite the same level. Don't tell me Bono won. I, I think Mike Collins did actually yeah, win of in course. that case. But um, there's there's a bunch of other things as well. I mean, I'd also recommend watching the actual... There's a, I have the DVD of this film, that's what I watched it on. Um, 
Neil Jordan has a bit in it about the making of talking about the historical inaccuracies in it and yeah. why he changed these things. I'd actually say watch it because he has justification for a lot of them. I don't think it's it doesn't come from like an ill-informed place. It comes from a well-meaning place, and I, I still yeah, think there's course. always a danger when you're making a film like this. Yeah, about... be a bit of movie magic there. Yeah, so I think at the end anyway, crack of gold for me. Crack of gold, yeah. absolutely. Love this film. for the last however long. Hour uh, and a half. Why it's a crack of gold? So I don't think we need to reiterate. Yeah, we've um, this is probably be one of our longer ones, but I think I suppose it's when you get something passionate about yeah. Ireland like this, we're going to have to talk. Yeah. So next week we're going to do something completely different. I have a. An idea for just changing it up a bit, doing something uh, that I hope people will find interesting and will actually sound well. But uh, we'll find out next week. We're, do- we're doing the sequel to Michael Collins, uh, Michael Collins 2, where he goes up into space with Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong. Oh, well, look, yeah. it has to be done. Someone needs to, to speak the truth. Uh, I did love, just as this as light as light, um, you know, there's other people called Michael Collins. There's there's currently um, one of, a judge in our Supreme Court who in a bit of trouble. So we got a, a senior counsel, a barrister in to help him called Michael Collins. Uh, and, so also, Michael Collins and also is. the current mayor of Limerick's do is Michael Collins as well. As it should be. <laughs> same Michael Collins. I told you he didn't die. He's a single He's move, moving around very fast. <laughs> Anyway, so thanks very much, guys. This is probably one of the longer ones I think we've done. Yeah. Because we we, we really got into this, as you'll probably be able to tell. Um, but thanks very much. Uh, tell a friend about this, please. Uh, leave a review about this. We'd love to hear what you think about, particularly Irish history in this case. We have a maybe a slightly biased view, but we'd yeah, happy to hear any feedback. We can only give our own perspective and our own knowledge, really. But uh, tell a friend uh, how great we are, of course. Oh, yeah. uh, give us Best a- Irish podcast you've ever listened to that comes from the room that we are currently in. Yes. And uh you know and, and give us a shout out on Twitter at Blarney Pod. Email us email us at talkingblarneypod at gmail.com. Yep, All send one us word of course. Any suggestions you have, uh any ideas for future episodes, if you have any uh queries, uh you know, if you want us to just shout you out for being a, a listener, we can do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's pretty much it from both of us. So yep. we'll see you next week. Take care. Good night and goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 